The title of this talk is Preaching What's Right. Preaching What's Right. So bear that in mind as we uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Preaching What's Right. And we've all been called to preach, uh, to witness to people, to uh, explain the scriptures to people, just as that happened for us. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, uh, you know, someone came to us and preached the gospel. <clears throat> so, yeah, let us preach what's right. And uh, like I said in the introduction, this comes from a chat I had yesterday with someone. But we'll start, <clears throat> we'll read a couple of scriptures in Second Timothy. We'll start in Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy, excuse me. Chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Back up to verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learnt and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learnt them and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, of course, I flipped that around. I want to start with verse 16, just a fundamental thing, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God's word. Um, human beings were inspired by God. But what's wonderful is that um, God lays it out there. Rip it to shreds. Proof and reproof, look into it, delve into it, ask questions. And that's the wonderful thing at the Revival Fellowship. We're always encouraged to ask questions. I love it when people ask questions. I used to love asking questions of others, just learning more things. And uh, it's open for correction and instruction in righteousness. And then, uh, and then verse 14, it says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learnt. So learning through uh, cross-examining the scriptures and delving into it and asking questions, continue thou in those things that you've learnt and assured of. Even, as it said, Timothy uh, may well have uh, been quite young when uh, his, when, um, it was his grandmother, wasn't it? His grandmother and his mother. Um, and uh, he was kind of brought up in the things of the Lord and says, from a child you've known. So years. Everyone here for years, uh, plural, we've uh, known the, uh, the scriptures and from a, from a younger person, a much younger person, uh, to make us wise unto salvation, a knowledge of salvation, things that we've learnt about these things. And, uh, and there's great depth in the scriptures. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 verse 15. Chapter 2 and verse 15. Study. To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In a similar line here, so the scriptures are open for proof and reproof. So the encouragement there is to study, work at it. Uh, you do the proving, you do the reproofing, you do the correction and all these things. You delve into it, checking, cross-examining, mouth of two or three witnesses. Um, study. Uh, so then you're a workman that needs not be ashamed, that when you've asked about the hope within you, you can say it. I know it. I know it. Uh, it's second nature. It's inborn. 
But then, this aspect, and uh, we, the Seventh-day Adventist church was referred to earlier, uh, and these people I spoke to yesterday, so that we can rightly divide the word of truth. Just taking scriptures out of context, that's what happens. Take them out of context, it doesn't marry up with other ones. And so I end up speaking at length with these people and I'm bringing out scriptures and a few times like, oh yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Well, why are you pushing this barra? You know, when this one here doesn't back it up. You know, rightly dividing where the scriptures apply. It's, uh, it, it, and as it refers to him back in uh, chapter 3, able to make thee wise. And that wisdom to rightly divide the word of truth, to understand what it means to be saved fully, wholly. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y. <laughs> wholly understanding the, uh, the salvation message and how to stay saved, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that gives us confidence as well because we see answers, don't we? Um, all the, the scriptures were written for us. Second Timothy chapter 3. Sorry, Second Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter three. We'll actually read the whole chapter. Second Corinthians chapter three and verse one. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart, so referring uh, with the ink and the tables of stone to the old law, the ordinances in the Old Testament. Uh, but now, today, uh, well, it's uh, the spirit of the living God and um, fleshly tables of the heart, which is also the, like the soul. Verse 4, And such trust we have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, the old law was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. It's logical. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away, i.e. the law, was glorious, much more that which remains, like through the Spirit, is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. 
for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So quite a a wonderful chapter, putting things into perspective. And uh, verse 17 is like, with the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. And um, this kind of follows on with what I spoke about on Wednesday, that um, the Lord's called us to freedom, liberty, and uh, not under the, the constraints and restrictions of uh, the law or the flesh. And, um, and like uh, Lynn was saying, the veil was, was untaken away in the reading of the law. People still trying to apply uh, the ordinances of the law the sacrifices and all those things that don't apply now, they're being superseded by a spiritual thing. And this person I spoke to, two people I spoke to yesterday, they kept referring back to Adam and Eve. Their whole thing was that um, Adam and Eve is the way it's meant to be. So we've got people who think oh, we're all supposed to be having a relationship here on earth, living like Adam and Eve in, uh, in the Garden of Eden, and there's other people who think, oh, we, we should be... Um, following the old law, rebuilding the temple and the sacrifices and all those ordinances of the old law. Um, Both scenarios, it's like the veil. Not understanding, this is what I I felt like I was flagellating an expired equine. I just kept saying it's all about the spirit. You know, look at the spiritual things and uh, not the things of the earth. And this is what this chapter says is, um, you know, the letter killeth creates condemnation. It, uh, it, it creates an understanding of sin. Yes, it was glorious. It was truly glorious because it was an opportunity for mankind to be able to judge as God judges, which is amazing. Um, but it gave an understanding of sin, which led to death. Today, let's take away the veil. Take away the veil and look at the spiritual things. There's liberty and freedom uh, peace and such wonderful things, not the reading of the old law and applying those things. Look, we understand, putting things into context, rightly dividing the word of truth. When we do that, we can see the beauty in the old law, a shadow of things to come, a schoolmaster. It helps us uh, uh, understand the spiritual world by using uh, carnal words of description and, uh, and all these things. It helps us understand and the consequences of our actions, it's amazing in that way. But, uh, but, but we now apply spiritual things, and we also preach what's right. Kim, I was wondering if you could turn that off, please. It'll still blast for a little while longer. Thanks, Kim. There's a little knob in there. Just turn it to zero. Thanks. Um, over to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. And verse 1. So Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Lynn referred to um, a part of verse 5 in her testimony, having a form of godliness. But the, the problem is, when people aren't preaching what's right, they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power thereof. The power is important. Um, and also ever learning. So that aspect of uh, when we read in um, Second Tim, sorry, later in uh, this same chapter, uh, these things that uh, you have learnt. So we're a people that... Uh, Rightly divides the word of truth. We, uh, we study the word, so we're continually learning. We are a people of learning, that we, we learn the things of the kingdom of God. But there are those that uh, don't preach what's right, they're ever learning and never able to come to the truth. It's a different sort of learning. And uh, these, this description in uh, chapter 3, we can look around the world today and, uh, and explains very well uh, what the way the world is. And uh, guaranteed, the world's always been off, um, but it helps us to, uh, it, it hones our focus, that uh, we stay focused on the things of the Lord, knowing there's no answers in the world. The answers are in the scriptures, through the spirit, inspiration of the spirit. And so let us understand what's right. Let us have a true learning and able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, as we delve into the, the, the things of the Lord, we are able to come to the knowledge of the truth to be able to confidently tell others as well. 1 Timothy chapter 6. A few aspects written to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And verse 20, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. Oh, Timothy. <laughs> so funny we see that uh, fair bit in the scriptures. Oh, <laughs> oh, Timothy, uh, a passion there. Keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. So having an understanding, the word rightly dividing the truth, the, uh, the word is uh, sharpen the two-edged sword, and so we can understand this science falsely so-called. Now science could be scientific advancements or it could just be knowledge, um, uh, people's understanding, uh, that oppositions, called science, called higher learning, called wisdom, Oppositions to the things of the Lord and avoiding the profane and vain babblings that, uh, that we may keep what is committed to our trust. 
God has entrusted us with the knowledge of his word. He's entrusted us to carry his spirit around. We have Jesus Christ in us. We are equal with Jesus Christ. Um, So we've had something wonderful committed to us. Uh, And so let's keep that. Now, um, we'll go to Jude. And I only just discovered when I was putting these scriptures together, (laughs) and I'll read it as well. There's a little passage here in Jude which has uh, remarkable similarities to another passage that I'll read straight after, the mouth of two or three witnesses. I thought, there we go. Jude, and verse 9. So the book of Jude, and verse 9. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Even Michael, he was in a position to do it, but he didn't. He just said, It's up to the Lord. Verse 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Horrible, horrible description there, brute beasts, you know, and, uh, uh, and that verse 9, the reason I read that, that even the archangel Michael didn't take it upon himself to, uh, for railing accusation but just left it up to the Lord. Um, and we can leave it up to the Lord, we can have peace, liberty and that, ah, the Lord's got it sorted. Um, but also these, these aspects of clouds without water, you know, talking about in testimony, we, we need rain, and you see clouds and it, there's no rain. How disappointing, you know. People that have a form of godliness seem to represent the Bible, seem to represent God, but there's no living water, no refreshing. Uh, they seem to be, this, uh, as we read on Wednesday, like a, a beautiful fig tree, but there's no fruit. And I was thinking about it afterwards, um, that fig tree that the Lord plants, you know, and, uh, his, which is his church, it's the fig tree that bears fruit in season and out of season. <laughs> uh, so uh, having that fruit, that sustenance, and, uh, uh, and that's what this, ray, this, um, this thing, this brute beast is. It's like a tree without fruit that's not providing what human beings need. And, um, and it refers to Balaam there as well, that, uh, just that, that gainsaying and that doing, the following religion for gain. And we know that, you know, there's three classic things that uh, religion does, you know, for, the, for power, for money and, um, and for lands. You know, the religion is an excuse for gain. And, uh, and so we see that, but that's not, they're not preaching what's right. Now to labour it, we will go back to Second, Tim- Second um, Peter, Second Peter, chapter two. This is this passage that is remarkably similar. Second Peter, chapter two, 
mouth of two or three witnesses. Second Peter chapter two and verse ten. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosa, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Just as weighty, so similar, here it refers to a well without water, you know, going through a desert and you see a well. You think, oh, water, refreshing, and there's no, nothing in it. How disappointing. Because before uh, we uh, received the Spirit, we understood the truth, we're in a desert place. We're far from God. Praise the Lord. I really praise the Lord that when I walked into that hardware store, there was a man who spoke about the living water, uh, the refreshing. There was a cloud that poured with rain. There was a well that was bubbling over with water. There was a fig tree that had fruit on it. I was so glad. So let us be that representative. Um, and that's all I could think of when I was speaking to these two people yesterday. They had this knowledge of God, knowledge of the scriptures, but they were clouds without water. There was no refreshing. There was just a burden. There was um, a burden that they were putting on a people. And it happens so easily when people are drawn away, um, uses the word here of their own lusts, to, uh, to the wages of unrighteousness. Okay, those heavy scriptures out of the way. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. They're in the Bible for a reason, for us to read and understand and apply in our life. So Acts 19 This is um, 17 chapters since the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we get to this point. Acts chapter 19. And it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy, Ge- Sorry, Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptised? And they said, Unto John's baptism. We'll stop there. So in a way, you know, that what they were preached, it was like a cloud without water, a well without water, a tree without fruit. 
They were taught about John's baptism. And we'll look further on to find out what John's baptism actually was. But in the same way, John's baptism is preached today, denying the power thereof, having a form of godliness, appearing to represent, but actually not truly representing. And that's the key here. These people weren't actually told about John's baptism. They were told it was John's baptism. Um, And so these were a set of believers at Ephesus and uh, they were originally preached to and said, look, this is John's baptism, blah, 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 whatever form that was, but they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. So let's look into John's baptism, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We'll go to a few scriptures before we go back to Acts 19. Matthew chapter 3. And the title of this talk is Preaching What's Right. So these people at Ephesus were taught supposedly about John's baptism. And they went away thinking that as well. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. John the Baptist here is speaking, I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So this is what John preached So if these people in Ephesus were taught about John's baptism, they would have been taught this as well. They would have been taught that, yes, baptism of repentance, but uh, there's someone that comes after him who's mightier, who will fill you with the Holy Ghost. But they'd never even heard of the Holy Ghost. So they were not actually taught about John's baptism. And this, um, this person that's mightier than John his fan is in his hand, he'll throughly purge the floor, he'll clean it all up, burn up all the chaff, so it's a fresh start, renewed, uh, and there's great liberty there and joy. And what an amazing thing, uh, when someone receives the Holy Spirit, there's a great grin on their face, it's like, wow, I know my maker, I've got a new beginning. My floor has been purged. I'm righteous before the living God. Back to Malachi chapter 3, just one verse. And just to put into context where John fits in to the kingdom of God and God's plan. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, I'll send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Putting it into perspective, John's baptism was so important. But John himself was a messenger who went before, before him who was mightier, to, uh, to, to make a path straight. I mean, he brought in this thing called baptism. What? That's weird. People had never been baptised before. So imagine if Jesus had to introduce baptism as well as all the things of the Spirit. But John came in and did that before to at least introduce that so Jesus could focus on spiritual things. 
And also, so Jesus himself could be baptised as an example. Over to uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11 and verse 7. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 7. Jesus puts things into perspective here as well. So Matthew 11, verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him understand. Put things into context, rightly dividing the word of truth, that John was prophesied, and he was a a type of Elijah to go before and, uh, and this aspect of um, uh, until now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. The whole salvation message is turned on its head. You know, there's great change happening. So these people in Ephesus who were taught about the baptism of John, in inverted commas, well, why go back to there before, the, before this great change happened? You know, uh, it all... The whole uh, uh, relationship that human beings have with God, uh, how that is fulfilled, was changed. This uh, this massive upheaval was happening uh, since John and the, and of course the baptism of Jesus Christ. And it says there that uh, John the Baptist was great, uh, greater than any other person born of women. But he that's least in the kingdom of heaven is still greater than he. So he was the least. Less than the least, sorry, less than the least. I mean, he, he was not baptised, was he? He was living under the old law. We today, we have been baptised. We live under the new covenant, the spiritual covenant. And so put the people that preached to these people in Ephesus needed to put into context where John's baptism fitted and what it meant. Today, we need to do that as well. There's a place for Adam and Eve. Absolutely, it's in the Bible. There's a place for the law. There's a place for our Abraham's relationship with God. There's a place for all of these things, and we rightly divide it so that we preach what's right, so that we are clouds with water. Uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 29. John chapter 1 and verse 29. 
Oh, that's Luke. <laughs> no wonder it didn't look right. John, <laughs> we need. How many times do I need to repeat it? John. <laughs> John chapter 1 and uh, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. See, John couldn't do that. It was Jesus Christ. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come to baptise with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on him, abode upon him. So that's also what John preached that he saw the Spirit descending on, on that person that was mightier than him. Verse 33, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptise with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God, i.e. Jesus Christ. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, so two people who followed John, right, may well have been baptised by John too if they were his disciples. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, John said to the disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So they stopped following John and followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So here we have this example that if the uh, people at Ephesus were taught what was right, was that here were two disciples, followers of John, Followers of John's baptism, so to speak. And then when John explained and said, there is the Lamb of God, they followed the Lamb of God. They stopped following John. And so much so that um, one of them was called Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. And he went and told Simon. Simon came and followed Jesus. And it grew from there. Back to um, Acts chapter 19. Such a, you can always say, um, such a, a wonderful thing was lost for these people in Ephesus when they were taught about John's baptism. Acts 19. But, praise the Lord, Paul potted along and uh, made things right. So Acts 19 and verse 4, we'll carry on, verse 4. Then said Paul, John verily baptised with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should receive, believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. 
When they heard this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. That was their born-again experience. That was the true baptism. That was actually the true uh, gospel, um, but it was also, how do I word this? It also fulfilled John's baptism, if you know what I mean. It, it kind of fulfilled the, what John was preaching himself. Follow Jesus, don't follow me. I get less, he gets more. Follow Jesus and be baptised with the Holy Ghost and power. And so they were born again, received the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. So everyone else around knew that they were, uh, were that way. Uh, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And praise the Lord that Paul was there preaching what was right, rightly dividing the word of truth, applying the scriptures correctly to explain it to these people who thought they may have had it right. They are people of faith. And then, of course, that led on to um, the church at Ephesus. <coughs> Amazing revival there. And uh, we can read the letter to Eph- the Ephesians as well. But here, John chapter 10 and verse 37. John chapter 10 and verse 37 If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe, that the Father is in me and I in him. Now I'm totally taking this out. It kind of seems odd based on the scriptures I've been reading. But the thing is, we have miracles that follow us. God performs miracles through us, through prayer. We have uh, Jesus Christ dwelling in us. That, um, and so what, what Jesus is saying is, look, to these people who listen to him speak, if you don't believe a word I'm saying, I mean, people can say anything. We know that. People can say whatever they want with whatever passion they have, whatever charisma they have, however convincing they have, they're words. And uh, we know his words were powerful. Jesus's, but he's saying, look, if you don't believe what I'm saying, which is fine, I guess, I guess, believe me because of the works, the miracles that come after. Okay, we have words as well. We preach what's right, but we also preach there's answers, that God answers his people, that he hears our prayers. There are signs that follow those who believe. And we understand the context of speaking in tongues, what it means. Yes, we must not understand it. We are not preaching to anybody else when we speak in tongues. We don't have a clue what we're saying. The people in uh, Acts chapter 2 were confused. But it's a powerful thing. It's a miracle that comes from God. It's, um, it's an answer to prayer. Luke 14, penultimate scripture. Luke 4, sorry, Luke chapter 4. So even if people are not convicted by what we say, even though we can speak such amazing power, they can be convicted by uh, the works that we do or the works that we see the Lord do through us. You know, the miracles, the healings. And many people have been saved as a result of seeing miracles in other people's lives. Luke chap. I think I've 
No, it is correct. Luke chapter 4 and uh, verse 16. So that's Luke chapter 4 and we'll start in verse 16. And he, being Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And it turns out that was Paul's custom as well. He'd go into the synagogue. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bare him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So the reason I chose this, that um, we wander about making sure we preach what's right. We are preaching liberty we are preaching the acceptable year of the Lord. <coughs> We're preaching <coughs> excuse me, deliverance to the captives. These are positive and great things. <coughs> we are preaching like healing to the brokenhearted, hope, you know, um, that taking away all anxiety and I mean uh, when Caroline <coughs> Caroline uh, prayed for the Holy Spirit when she received the Holy Spirit, she's testified as well that her broken heart was healed. You know, these things happen, but also um, the thing in verse 22 is uh, when he closed the book and put it away, he was speaking with such power and people wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They are the words that we speak, hope, gracious words, saved by grace, which is truly beautiful, not a burden of the law, that's all washed away but our liberty and freedom and grace through the Spirit, through Jesus' sacrifice. Finish up John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse 5. Such an important passage that we refer to uh, when speaking to others. John chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 5. Then cometh he... To a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. See, it's important. We've read scriptures about a well. We've read a scripture about a well without water. So here we are. Jesus comes to this well, and uh, and it turns out it was Jacob's well. It was made by Jacob himself, and this well still uh, provides water, but Jesus talks about something else. Verse 6 again. So now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour, midday. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, Ask us drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. 
for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water, a different sort of water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? (laughs) That's rhetorical, isn't it? Uh, When we read it. Which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water. In other words, she's saying, yeah, the well that comes out of this water doesn't, isn't sufficient. I want this living water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou said, In that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, thou cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, and am he. In other words, I am the Christ. And he's telling her all things. It makes sense. God's a spirit. So those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Not living like Adam and Eve on earth. Where's the spirit there? Not following the old law. Not spiritual things there. But we need the spirit. This is it. This is the living water where we no longer thirst, no longer wonder what God wants in our lives because we know that thirsting is a thirsting of um, uh, true knowledge, true wisdom, true understanding that comes from God. We no longer thirst for that because through the Spirit we have it. But also we're here to uh, explain it to others who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness so that they thirst no more. And they then can also preach what is right. Okay, thank you.